face this opposition, we need to understand how to respond to that opposition in a way in which God is glorified. Uh, This is something that Paul and Barnabas gave themselves to. As they were in Iconium, they spent some time with the people there. Both Jews and Greeks were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And even though there was opposition there, we know that they stayed there to strengthen the brethren. And and not not a few came to faith in the Lord there in Iconium. There were many who came to faith, but there was great opposition too. We also learn, we'll learn how it was in when he came to Lystra, when they came to Lystra, what it was that he did there. And these were all people who were totally in the world and how it is that he, he really, in a few words, proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it was to a different crowd. And so those are things that we need to pay attention to. Now, again, the title of this morning's message is Be Tenacious in the Gospel. Uh, tenacious, it's, uh, it means uh, tending to keep firm, a firm hold of something, clinging or adhering closely, persisting, not readily relinquishing a position. Really, the only position that we ought not be very readily willing to relinquish is the position that we have in glory, glorifying the Lord. Um, that should be everything to us. But I want to read something to you. Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, because I want to just kind of set things up here in regards to the Apostle Paul. There are many things that we can look to and hold on to and cling to, but these are the very things that we see even in the Apostle Paul that, that he, didn't, uh, he didn't insist on, um, that he counted it all... He saw it all as rubbish, as trash, as as dung, is what he describes it as. So Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write... uh, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus." And put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless, but... Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Let us never forget that. If the Apostle Paul counted all of that, all his certificates, all his, his places of prestige, if he counted all that as like just, just rubbish, it's trash, how much more should we, like as we take a look at what we have trailing behind us, it's no, it should be trash compared to the glory that awaits us in Christ. And he goes on to say, um, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Uh, or in other words, as, as, we, as we continue to, um, to, to move forward in Christ, Gaining his glory, gaining uh, really um, 
continuing to, to, to gain in the right standing that we have in him. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is an example of working at your salvation with fear and trembling. That is, with a reverence toward the one who has saved us. You know, this morning we will see evidence of this very thing in the life of Paul. As Paul and Barnabas continue to teach and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ in Iconium and in Lystra, Paul desired above all that people would come to faith, to know that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith and not the law. Today, if you were to ask unbelieving people, perhaps those that are unbelieving, but in fact, uh, what I'm saying with that is those who have not surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, but believe in heaven. If you would ask them out on the street how someone goes to heaven, the majority will say that it is because they are relatively good people. Right? And, and that is a common understanding. It's a misunderstanding, but... It's, it's a common response. And you wouldn't expect anything different from someone who just doesn't know. I um, thought the same way. Looking back at my life, I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, it, heaven is reserved for those who are relatively good. You know, they don't, they don't murder. Um, they don't steal. They don't burglarize. They... Uh, they don't commit adultery, you know, people who, who lead these clean lives, that perhaps heaven is reserved for them. But we know that that is what man's heart is inclined to believe, that, that we can somehow attain salvation and attain the glory of heaven by being decent people. And if that was the case, then Jesus came for no reason at all. It was all empty. It was worthless for him to die on the cross. For who? For whose sin? For mine? Well, if you ask me before Christ, before I came to an understanding of of why it was that he went to the cross, I would have answered the same way. And so it is the, the work of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas as they came to Lystra and to Iconium first that their desire, their passion was to tell everyone that it, we're not saved by law or good works or by being decent people, but by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because Paul knew that this was the perspective of the religious leaders of the day and what they were teaching the people. To keep the law of Moses and be righteous by doing so. But Paul realized that no one would be made righteous by keeping the law of Moses. He realized that, for no one could perfectly keep it. Paul was tenacious in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ because he knew that people's eternal destiny could be changed through an understanding of God's plan of salvation, that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That was everything to him because he came to understand that. And so it should be our desire 
that we see other people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That it is through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus' shed blood on the cross that we can be forgiven of all of our sins. We are justified by His blood and by His resurrection. This is the message that Paul would go to great lengths to proclaim to all. He would endure much. And he was even willing to give his own life, if necessary. And was definitely willing to forsake his own freedoms as a Roman citizen and as a Jew of previous good standing, according to the Jews. But it was all for the sake of winning more to the faith. He loved in this way because God demonstrated his love toward him first. What would we not do for the glory of God when we've been given everything in the hope of heaven? When we've been forgiven of all and we with certainty can declare that we at some point, as the Apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, we will see this morning how there wasn't really anything that could stop Paul from speaking the word and explaining salvation to all who were willing to lend him their ear in God their heart. Uh, a couple things. Next week we'll, we'll tackle the other two. But two things we're going to see. Success in opposition. And number two, uh, we, are, we have this example here of not touching God's glory. We never touch God's glory. And we see that exemplified in Paul and Barnabas. Heavenly Father, we commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing. Lord, speak to us. Help us to understand and apply these things to our lives to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, success in opposition, verse 1 of chapter 14, says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So we see here both success and opposition for the Apostle Paul and Barnabas at Iconium. After having left Antioch and Pisidia, Paul and Barnabas, they traveled east to Iconium and still in what would be considered today present-day Turkey. Now, Paul and Barnabas went into the local synagogue, just as they had done back in Antioch. They did the very same thing there in Iconium. They went into the synagogue, and they started teaching. Um, It doesn't say the specifics of where it is that they went to in Scripture to teach, but I know that their whole purpose for going and, and going on this missionary trip was to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, by the scriptures, by the law and the prophets, they were showing that Jesus is the Messiah that had been prophesied about, that has come, that has been crucified, buried, and on the third day rose from the grave. These are the things that they were doing there in Iconium. They were teaching that Jesus is 
the Son of God. Now, they had great success in leading people to Christ. These were people that knew the Scriptures, though. And so it was that he went back and, and, uh, and, and taught and explained to them how was it it's been all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And they had great success in leading many people to Christ. It says here, both Jews and Greeks. Notice how Paul and Barnabas conducted themselves. This is something important for us to consider. Three, four, or three things that we see here. Number one, they spoke the testimony of who Jesus Christ is. Number one, they spoke. Number two, there was a way, a manner in which they spoke that to others that they would understand and come to believe with that good understanding. And so there's a way. They spoke, and then there was a manner in which they delivered that message. Number three, they spoke boldly for the Lord and bore witness to the word of his grace. Let's go through those just a bit more and kind of expound on them. Paul and Barnabas were not there for anything other than to further communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see people come to faith and salvation and to teach them of the grace of God and how to live in it. They spent time. See, we can say, okay, well, you all have come to faith, right? If you've come to faith and you've been evangelized and you've repented and come to Christ, here's the Bible. Let me give you a few pointers on how to read it. And uh, I'm off. I'm out. They didn't do that. Paul and Barnabas took the time to teach the people there, to explain to them, to help them understand the scriptures as they read through. So, but what we need to understand is that Paul and Barnabas, they were not there to promote the book that they wrote in regards to any section of scripture. They, they weren't there to promote themselves. They, they were only there to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was it, bottom line. And that's what the church should be all about. Not promoting a book, but the book. The Bible. Go to the Bible. The best interpretation for the Bible is the Bible. So go to the Bible. So they were not there for anything other than to further communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see people come to faith and salvation and to teach them the grace of God and how to live it. That was it. That's my desire. Because I've been, I've been given a commission. It's a simple commission, but let me tell you, it's a very difficult one. Because I need to get involved, believe it or not, in your life. That is to make disciples of you. Not of me. Not of anyone else. To make disciples of followers of Jesus Christ. To point you to him. To make sure that as you take a look at scripture, you understand it in context and apply it to your life practically for the glory of God. There are freedoms that these people needed to understand in practice in ways that glorify the Lord. Because we can come to a point to where it's like, well, if the law doesn't bring me to salvation and I have a freedom in the Lord, then by all means I can practice all this liberty, right? Yeah, but is it beneficial for others? 
So let's learn what that looks like, though. It's like, hey, listen, slow down. Let's take a look at Scripture and let's, let's see and understand what it says about how to live life to the glory of God. That's what Paul and Barnabas were doing there. Speaking. That's what they do. They, they did. They, they, they spoke. Speaking is communicating, and the Word tells us to do the work of an evangelist. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. And that is to publicly declare the good news of Jesus Christ. So we need to speak. It, it's not enough uh, to like, hey, listen, I'm going to just lead a, a life that is perhaps different from the one that I used to lead. And maybe others will see Christ in that. Well, they should see Christ in that. But, you know, faith comes by hearing, Right. And we don't see anywhere in here how Paul and Barnabas, you know, they just like went into town and they're like, hey, we'll just act like, you know, God's grace is upon us and we're saved. And we'll just answer questions as people maybe come to us and ask, what's is there something different with you? No, that's that's not the way it happened. They went to the people. I'm sure they asked them questions, leading questions. And then they answered those questions. Why? Because they desired that others would come to know Jesus Christ and surrender their lives to him. So they spoke. Learn to explain the gospel. This only comes through knowing the word of God, and this only comes through reading and studying the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So you commit yourself to reading the Word of God, studying it, and learning what it has to say, <clears throat> learning to live it out, rightly handling or dividing the Word of truth. Learn how to defend the truth, not necessarily to argue. I'm not telling you to argue. A defense doesn't necessarily mean to argue, but to be able to discern and know the truth from the lie. That is exactly, in fact, we're going to, in a few moments, we're going to go to Lystra, and we're going to see how it was that Paul and Barnabas, they simply pointed out one very simple truth to those in Lystra. That what they were holding up as gods, and what they were doing was idolatry, because they weren't worshiping the one true living God, who could provide salvation, and who does, and offers it. That's, that's, that's it. And they were to repent. It wasn't an argument. It's a statement. Remember, you're the one that has the message of reconciliation. So you don't have to necessarily argue with people, but explain to them. Remember, it should all be done in love. Don't ever forget that. So there was a way in which Paul and Barnabas spoke that they understood and believed. What is it that draws us to the Lord? Is it damnation, condemnation, or is it his kindness? The word tells us that it's his kindness. I remember that's what drew me to the Lord. It was his kindness, his grace, his love, his compassion for me, his mercy that it was all found in Jesus Christ. It was all there. It was his kindness. He spoke boldly. We also see here, and they bore witness for the Lord and to the words of his grace. This was not their opinion. 
nor were they on tour to further a personal agenda. It was simply to declare God's grace demonstrated through Jesus Christ and to see souls saved by grace through faith in Christ. That was it. But as we see here, there, where there is success in ministry, the ministry of the gospel, there is opposition. Expect it and stay the course. Expect it. And stay the course. It's not to further a personal agenda, but to further the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in example and word. It has to match up. But then we see some, some of the brothers. It, it, it's, uh, they're described here as being brothers that poisoned the minds of their other brothers. People made every effort to set brother against brothers, what we see here. So where, where there was great success, there was great opposition. Be careful when someone's trying to convince you to hate and reject someone who is teaching you and discipling you in God's word. You've got to be very careful about that. A person who's showing you how to be a follower of Jesus Christ. When someone else comes along and says, yeah, that person is whatever, is trying to undermine their very work. Be very leery of that. Be discerning, because this is the work of the enemy trying to undermine the very work that God desires to do within the church. Again, I refer to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And this is the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that the Lord has taught us, basically what we have in the Word of God. Now, even though this was happening... Paul and Barnabas remained. They stayed there. This is, this, we're speaking, we're looking at an example of tenacity. They were tenacious. They were unwilling to relinquish their place there in teaching the word of God, even though opposition had come. Because Paul and Barnabas remained and they continued to speak boldly and bear witness of God's grace, even performing miracles by the grace of God, by the power that God had bestowed upon them at that very moment. It wasn't like it it happened all the time. There were moments that they were able to perform these miracles, but it was always to demonstrate that they were there on behalf of the Lord to show that they were truly sent there by the Lord. But as we read, they only stayed there until they learned that those who opposed them actually sought their lives. They wanted to put them to death. It says here, mistreat them and to stone them. And we're not talking like, you know, pick a stone, you know, maybe a small one, just inflict a little bit of pain and be annoying. No, no, no. <laughs> when you're stoned, it's like you're, you're dead. That's what they were desiring to do with Paul and Barnabas. So it was at this time that they fled south, and, and then from there they'll go east um, to Derby. Now, In ministry, you can expect opposition. It will come, especially when there is success and people are growing in Christ and coming to salvation. You know, it's no different in your household. It's no different. It's no different in your circle of friends. It's no different where you work. It's the same thing. That's the ministry of the Lord. And just know that at first when you speak and you speak boldly, 
there will be some acceptance, but there also will be much rejection. What you do in that time matters. How you respond. In fact, James 1, 2 through 4, I'll say it in the New King James language in that translation. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's all a a work of growth, maturity, of trusting in the Lord, through the trials, knowing that he's still on the throne, and that you still have the hope that he's given to you the moment you place your, your life and your, your, your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So success and opposition, that goes basically hand in hand here on earth. Number two, though, don't touch God's glory. Verse eight, verse 8 as we continue. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, And seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lithuanian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Now, As we've learned, there were times when Paul and Barnabas were able to perform miracles. They didn't do it all the time. But again, uh, you know, God had granted them signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And again, it's it's all to demonstrate that they were were truly sent by the Lord. That's all it was for. It wasn't to bring them glory. It wasn't to come and really even bring everyone to be healed physically. It was so that they would know that God was with them and they were sent on his behalf. But this is what we see here with this man who was crippled from birth in Lystra. Apparently, they opened up the proverbial can of worms, though, with this act. And the people thought that they had Zeus and Hermes present. They were in the house at that point. Well, it just so happens that there was a priest of Zeus right there. And they got so excited, uh, they, they, they started speaking in their own language. And, and man, the, the priest went uh, to the temple and he got an ox. And then he also got some garlands for Zeus and Hermes. You know, and, and they, they were going to come and sacrifice to them. 
and they were going to put these garlands on them. These garlands uh, were something that would distinguish them from everyone else. Would say, these are the people that we are honoring as our gods. Well, can you imagine seeing all of this? And, and, you know, for the person who is going there to declare the gospel, and they perform this miracle, um, all of this commotion, they didn't understand. We see here how it was that there was somewhat of a delay. You know, they were doing all of this, and they're like, I, Paul, do you know what's going on? No, Barnabas, I, I have no idea. But, man, they got excited, didn't they? Perhaps this is just a continuation of the Lord's work and, and we're going to see many more people come to faith. That's, that's, what, that's what I would be saying, right? Not knowing what exactly was going on at the first, at the beginning. But when they knew what was going on, they responded. These people misinterpreted the miracle. Many people today misinterpret miracles. Somehow at Bethel. If you guys don't know, Bethel, their false doctrine is taught there. Just just know that. I mean, you, you can look it up for yourself. Do your own research, okay? Don't take it from me. But I'm just warning you. There's a wizard staff, if you haven't heard of this already. There's a wizard staff that, the, that uh, they're using uh, to perform certain works. Be leery of those things. That is not how it works. All right? Now they believe in uh, grave sucking. Yes, you heard me right. Grave sucking. That is going to people, let's say, for instance, D.L. Moody or C.H. Spurgeon and going to the grave and, and, uh, and somehow believing that their anointing will come on them in the presence. Okay? I, you, again, you can look it up. Look it up for yourself. There's a misinterpretation of some scripture that is applied. And you've got to be careful with this. I just gave you a couple examples. There are many more. These people, not knowing, they were, they were ignorant of, of God's truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They misinterpreted this miracle and they wanted to glorify immediately Paul and Barnabas. Is that not what's done when you're going to a person's grave and trying to receive their anointing? Right? It's like they have the power. It's in the grave? No. Where, where, is our, where, where does our anointing come from? From the Lord. Right? Not from some dead person. Being in their presence, you know, when people say, oh, you know, I, I want that anointing to rub off on me. Literally, that happens at time with, with pastors, I know. <laughs> and it's like, get out of here. You know, that's, that's not how it works. It comes from the Lord. These people misinterpreted. Because they presumed that these two men had performed these miracles in their own power. So remember James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is no one good but God. None to be glorified but God. I can look to Romans 3.10 and 3.23. Very simple. 
None is righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jeremiah 10.5 says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. So the people were responding in ignorance. They, they didn't know. They didn't know the truth. We cannot expect people to respond rightly when they don't know what that is or what it looks like. So please be, be compassionate and meet people there. What, like when, when they say things that it's like, whoa, you know, that, that's not of the Lord. That's not in line with Scripture. Don't say, man, you're going to hell. What's wrong with you? You know, no, explain to them. You know, in a loving way, why, you know, can I show you in Scripture? You know, let me explain to you. We should, we, that's the manner, the way in which, which we ought to communicate the good news. So what's important here is how Paul and Barnabas responded. As soon as they realized what was happening, they publicly demonstrated that what they were doing, they regarded as blasphemy. Glory we know, as I've already shared scripture with you, belongs to God alone, and no man is to receive glory as his own or in the place of God. This is something that we always deflect. You know, we, we receive encouragement, but we deflect his glory. Like, it's encouraging when someone comes up to you and says, hey, listen, you know, Chad, that was a great devotion. Thank you for sharing that. And so it's like, well, thank you. That, that's encouraging to me, but glory to God. You know, definitely glory to God. If anything good came of it, it it's, it's because of what, who God is in my life. And the only reason why I'm sharing the devotion, Chad would say, is because I've come to know God's grace and his love for me, and I've known his forgiveness. So I share it with you. Amen. See? So here was the good news, because this is what he said. This is the good news. Delivered in this particular situation. Look with me once more to verse 14 as we uh, just go through the good news that we see here. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments, and then they rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So that was his response. That was their response. Number one, he asked them to, to help them think at this point. Why are you doing these things? I don't know. What, what do you mean, why are we doing these things? Zeus or Hermes? Paul? Paul was Hermes, right? You know, we're... But they were questioned. Like, just stop for a moment and, and consider the question. Because Paul and Barnabas wanted them to know that what they were doing was wrong. So this first question was, stop, and then, then perhaps just listen to why it is that this is wrong. Number two, there's none like God. Paul and Barnabas quickly pointed out that, that they were men. They were not gods. They, they were men just, just like them. And they actually weren't there to perform miracles. They were there to declare and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what they were there for. 
Number three, what is the good news? Put it very simply, is this the way in which Peter, on the day of Pentecost, gave the message? This is none, not at all, right? This is a very different message. It was very short. It's considering the moment, discerning the moment. What is it that I'm going to say in this short amount of time to get the point across? What's the good news? Repent. That's that's the bottom line. That's what they were communicating. Repent. Repent from what? Your idolatry. Because it's empty. It means absolutely nothing. And turn to the living God. There, there are many people today that that's, that's all they need to hear. They don't know anything else. They don't know scripture. How many people know like the Bible inside and out? And, and they're practicing idolatry that you know. People around, not many. <laughs> pray, or maybe not, not any. So basically, they initially need to hear, hey, listen, that which you put your hope in is empty. It's not hope at all. It's vain. It's not certain. But let me tell you about common grace. You've received common grace because this is what what was being communicated. There's common grace. You know, it rains on the just and the unjust. That's common grace. Right? You have food to eat and you have something to drink. You know that these things that are provided are common for, for many people. So it's common grace. But let me tell you where where that comes from, from the creator of the universe, the true, the one and only true living God. That is who we come to share with you of in how it is that you can know him intimately. You can know salvation. One way, and that first comes by repenting. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he told them these things really quickly. And it appears to be a difficult situation. Paul and Barnabas had a difficult time persuading the people of the truth. They were entrenched in their ideas of gods and religious practices that they were participating in to seek favor of these so-called gods when it was nothing more than God's grace and his common grace toward them. And he, he was just really simply laying that out. So I don't see at this very moment much success here. But we don't hear, what we don't hear of here is, is a great number was coming to salvation. But we do see the response of Paul and Barnabas. And that is very important for us to learn and apply in our own lives. And we also see how in a very basic way, Paul shared the need to repent of idolatry and come to the one true living God. Have you placed your hope in something other than Jesus Christ? Then you too are practicing idolatry. And I tell you, don't put something in the place of the one, the only one that can give you true hope. That can give you grace, salvation, eternal life, forgiveness of your sins. Now, all of this was also, you could say, opposition to Paul and Barnabas. But it came in a different form, didn't it? The offer from the enemy. Oh, how quick it came. We want to exalt you, O man. 
We want to raise you up and put you on a pedestal. I'm kind of important here. Tell me more, right? And we're so inclined to do that, and we shouldn't. We should be very careful. Humble yourselves before the Lord, for he is righteous, he is holy, and he is to be praised. He is to be glorified. Not anyone. If God places himself, or if if God is the center of your life, then that is the very place where we need to be in life and the perspective that we need to have. But we need to understand that if anything else is in his place, then the the devil has one in your life because he has made you ineffective. Like them, and like us, and, and for us today, we ought to consider this. Again, idolatry is something that we need to repent of and turn to the Lord. Because he, he says this in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So we, saw, we see success in opposition in Iconium. Uh, we see that a bit in Lystra as well. But what we see is the response of Paul and Barnabas. They do not touch God's glory. And they explain the gospel in a very few number of words. And the bottom line is repent. Repent. What does that mean? It means turn. Turn from your sins and turn to Christ. Paul and Barnabas were tenacious in the gospel, unwilling to readily relinquish their position as heralds of the good news because the eternal destiny of the people was at stake. Repent and believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, through whom we come to know forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life in the glory of God. Glory to God. I want to close with this. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 145. So Psalm 145. The worship team can come up because... We'll worship, and then afterwards, as we close, um, just uh, just hold on for a second because uh, one of the ushers is going to come forward and then dismiss by sections. So that's how we're going to exit the building. But the worship team can come on up, and as they do come up, you're, you've turned in your Bibles to Psalm 145. Uh, let's stand to our feet and let's read this last portion. Psalm 145, verse 1, says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. 
They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever and ever. Father, we praise your name. There is no God but you. None worthy of praise but you. Through you comes salvation. Through the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, and I ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. To understand that Their hope has been misplaced, as I at one point understood that. But to place our hope in Jesus Christ is a certain hope. And that will cause me to turn away from those things who bring shame to you. And anyone who knows your grace, desire to do those things that please you. Why? Because we have been forgiven of all. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And I pray right now that anyone who does not know salvation in Christ would cry out to you, asking for your forgiveness and asking you to be Lord and Savior. And I pray that you would strengthen the church, my brothers and sisters, that you would continue teaching us how it is that we ought to live lives in response to the love that you first demonstrated to us. Living lives that bring you glory. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.